Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. Do you know what, Brian? I've already messed up. I was going to do that in a Cockney accent. Do you think I should go back? I might not. Yeah, no, well, no, go on, go back. Do it again, got time. I tell you what, I'll, I'll do it now and I'll just see if anyone notices. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, all right, see if anyone notices. All right, welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. Do you know what? I can't even do it. I've been working on it for a week and it just sounds rubbish. It's not, it's not an easy one to do. It isn't. You sound more Cockney than I do, actually. Well, you, yeah. Cockney-based. You see, I spent years trying to rub the edges off my accent because I thought... I used to think the Cockney accent was a bit a bit um, oafish and a bit clumsy sounding. But as I've got older, that kind of veneer has is, is kind of worn away. And I'm more I'm more authentically Cockney now than I was when I was twenty, son, for example. Are you embracing it? Is that what you're I'm saying? I'm embracing it, yeah. I like it. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I I might have to spend more time with you just to pick up a oh, better accent. Because I'm, I'm a little bit upset with how that went, but we're gonna carry on anyway. All right. Because okay. all the listeners are probably thinking, what is going on? Um so they're curious now. They're even more curious now. Well, actually saying that, if they've pressed the button on the episode, they know what we're talking about, so therefore it should make some sense because the episode today is going to be about the legendary British filmmaker Guy Ritchie. And in all his glory, in all his Cockney glory, um, we're going to be looking at his old films. We're going to look at some of his new films. And it's all to uh, celebrate the release of his upcoming film, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Now, this was meant to be released soon, which is why we were doing this podcast now. However, it's now been delayed, I've been told. So we're already off to a rocky start. But we thought we'd do it anyway, because why not? It's always a good time to talk about Guy. We mm-hmm. love him. Um, and joining me, as you should know by now, is Brian Penn. Hi, Brian. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm very well. Um, and it's a really, really fantastic show tonight because 
I love so many of these films and I also find Guy Ritchie to be one of the most exciting filmmakers. I think he's just got that pizzazz, you know, and I don't say that lightly because I hate that word. He's got the pizzazz of a filmmaker who just loves his craft, does what he does best. And when we were talking about this before, Brian, you said that he is like, what, he's always been referred to as the British Tarantino. Is that true? I think he has been, yeah. And I I don't think it's totally misplaced either. I mean, I I feel Guy Ritchie is probably one of the most talented and stylish directors to have emerged in the last 20 years. But I I think he makes too many films that are just okay. And you you sense that there's a hell of a lot more to come. And he's relatively young. He's only 53, which is very young for a director. Mm. And there's there's plenty more in the locker. And I think to call him... The English Tarantino is very true. I mean, you've only got to look at his first feature film, Lot of Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, to see where his inspiration came from. Hmm. And it, it was very very much in Tarantino's direction. And I think the the Tarantino influence really shows in these later films as well. I mean, that's a great place to start. I mean, you've already you've done a great segue for me there into Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels because it is his first feature. He made a short before that. Called, called The Hard Case, but I've not seen that. I'm guessing you haven't seen that? No, um, I've not seen that, actually, so no. It obviously, I think it's worth trying to find, but we're not going to talk yeah. about it because we haven't seen it. Um, but Lockstock is brilliant. I really love Lockstock and Two <laughs> Barrels. I think it's got that pure... Um, funny enough, it's got the Snatch vibe, even though it came before Snatch. Um, I know it's obviously yeah. you know, it paved the way, but it's got Something about, and it's, it's also got the independent feel to it. Like, you yeah. know, it's been made on a sort of slight budget and probably with mates and they've yeah. called in favors to, to hustle yeah. this all together. And that really comes through in the vibe of the film. Um, are you, are you, you're a fan, right? Of, of course. I absolutely love the film. I adore this film. It's just stunning to watch. And I probably saw it possibly six or seven times within the year of its first release i was absolutely obsessed with it for a while (laughs) but i got it out and watched it again about a week ago for the first time in about maybe 10 years and you know it still seems as good as it ever was and you still appreciate all the touches and the licks and the the dialogue as well it's absolutely it it fizzes the dialogue Um, there's one thing that guy Ritchie captured very early on in, in his films is that there's an element of London dialogue that I thought was dead and buried, um, but he reactivated it because he had that kind of appreciation of London dialects and London humour. Let me give you an example. There's a scene, there's an early scene in Lock, in Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels where uh, Nick the Greek pulls out a big wad of cash and Eddie says to him, Christ, Nick, you could choke a dozen donkeys on that. <laughs> now, just for any donkey lovers listening... We do not condone animal cruelty <laughs> in, in any way, do we, Chris? Definitely not. Definitely not. No. Only in yeah, metaphorical senses. Do we? Ex- exactly. I, I raise this quote purely to illustrate an example of a dialogue he's managed to capture. It was the dialogue that belonged not to me, not to my parents, but my grandparents' time. You know, my granddad was born in 1909. He spoke like that, that very animated, almost pictorial way of speaking. Um, he managed to get that in lots of two smoking barrels and he did it in, in subsequent films but that really stood out and you think wow he's done something here that you know possibly some a lot of people would have loved it anyway but 
maybe not appreciate what he's done there. That he's pulled out a way of speaking that you think, oh, it's brilliant. It's back. You know, part of London life is back because that is the way people speak. Um, I, I think it's it's an amazing film. I, I think the plotting is really clever. The pacing's brilliant. It does take its lead from Pulp Fiction, which only came out three, four years beforehand. You know, mm. you know, um, and lots of nice, lots of great performances there. Um, you know, oh yeah, it's got it's got an absolute stellar cast. I mean, you look at these these, these guys, and it's just obviously you've got Jason Statham, the Stath, uh, you know, Stath, doing yeah. his thing. And what I liked about him is it was obviously very early. Uh, role for him and he just looks so young faced in it I was I like know. oh it's Jason you're, you're doing he's, when he's doing the bit in the street he's selling the wares out of yeah it. as the, um, yeah. the like a bellboy sort of character yeah the fly pitch yeah <laughs> um, it's just like it's brilliant so that's the, that's the downside for being an actor though isn't it is that you get to see yourself aging on screen <laughs> and you also get constant reminders of when you were younger what you have to remember about uh, uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels is that the cast were brilliant, but most of them were unknowns. Mm. They were barely breaking through at the time. But this was their major hit, if you like. You know, and there were some great cameos in there as well. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, apart from Nick Moran and Jason Statham and Dexter Fletcher, Stephen McIntosh, you know, Jason Fleming, you know, they they all had that kind of blokish charm that all looked like mates that you could tell they're mates. Yeah. Because they're so natural with each other. But there were some great cameos in that film. Lenny McLean playing Barry the Baptist. Oh, yeah, he's who great. Sadly, who sadly died, I think, a month before the film came out. Oh, but yeah. what 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 amazing actor he would have become. You know, you think to yourself, he spent his life as a, a doorman, a bouncer. In fact, not so far away from the character that he was playing there. Now, he would never have played King Lear, it's safe to say, but <laughs> he would have developed as a brilliant character actor. And you see there how good he could have been. And doesn't it also show the skill that um, Guy Ritchie has as a director? Because he takes Vinnie Jones, never acted before, um, and he delivered a very strong performance, didn't he, as Big Chris? And this is what is you know, amazing about Guy Ritchie as a director is the you know, the ensemble cast here. We've got such a, a range, and someone like Vinnie Jones does tremendously well. He's so funny in this. He's so funny in Snatch as well, yeah. and, but not in a not in a way where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. It's funny. It, you know, you're you're not meant to be here, sort of thing. No, he really fits in. He really yeah. slots in brilliantly. Well, um, I mean. We'll yeah, talk but, about a different footballer who turns up in a different film in another, yeah. <laughs> a bit later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you see, that really shows what an outstanding director is. I'm not taking all credit away from Vinnie Jones. He's got he's charismatic. He's got presence. Of course, he has. You yeah. saw that when he was when he was on the field playing football. But you've got to also hand it to to Guy Ritchie for taking a chance on someone who'd never acted before, but delivered what I would say was a very, very strong performance. I think you can tell as well the the, <clears throat> the way this is kind of brought together through a very indie feel. It does feel like they've kind of cobbled yeah. this together. Yeah. That it feels like a team effort. And obviously Vinny would be very aware of that. Yeah. Working part team. That <clears throat> it 
it doesn't feel like anyone's vehicle. It's not like, oh, it, that's so-and-so's vehicle. They're obviously yeah. using this. It just feels like everyone's got their part to play and they all play it really well and support the narrative, yeah. which, you know, let's be honest, it's it's a fairly simple narrative of someone, um, they, they lose a game of poker and you know, there's loads of sort of <laughs> um, it, drug bosses and yeah. people involved. It's uh, let's let's be absolutely truthful. We'll come on to talk about this, won't we? Of course, but the actual plot itself is is a, a fairly typical uh, villains ripping each other off, mm. um, double crossing each other, um, trying to deliver a payback. You know, it, there, there are common themes there that that run in all gangster movies, I guess. But you know, with with the gangster movies that uh, Guy Ritchie makes, they're a bit more obvious. It doesn't make them any less entertaining um, or any less enjoyable, but you know there's some obvious markers there that you can see. And he throws in enough kind of twists and turns and sort of reveals that it's a lot of fun, like especially the first time you watch it because you're like, oh, oh, I didn't know that that was going to happen. And I hadn't watched Lockstock for a long time, so I re-watched it for the podcast mm. and... I had forgotten a fair bit of it. So when I was watching, I was like, actually, yeah, that's really good. Like really, you know, they do bring in a lot of characters, a lot of interesting um, connections, but it's yeah. all done in a way that it's, it feels that it's getting the perfect balance between crime and comedy. At every yeah. single scene. It's not ever overloaded with one. And I think that that's very key to where, when Guy Ritchie is on form is when he gets that balance just yeah. right. I, I think it's pretty obvious. If you look at the canon of his work so far, the, the films that stand out the most are the gangster movies. That's where he's happiest. That's where he's most comfortable. Mm. Right? Of course, you'd want to stay in com- comfortable territory. If you enjoy doing what you're doing, why, wouldn't, why would you do anything any different? But they're in a creative profession. That's the thing. And that's probably my only real crit- criticism of Guy Ritchie is that he does things that are safe. He makes different films, but it's almost like he's saying to his agents and his management, all right, I've made Aladdin. I've made Sherlock Holmes. Now let me <laughs> go off and make, make what I want to make. I want to make another gangster <laughs> film. You know, it's that type of thing, I think. He does return to it quite often. Um, well, let's talk about what is arguably, you know, it's definitely my favourite Richie film, which is Snatch. Because um, I think it was my first Guy Richie film that I saw. I still think it's, the funniest it stands up really well it's more slick than Lockstock. it's got more kind of production value <clears throat> to it which i think helps it stand up more yeah um both films have you know they are quotable beyond belief my yeah. friend my friend jed he he i when i rewatched Lockstock, i realized how much of his 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 dialogue in real life comes from Lockstock. he says so many things uh, and i still say things from snatch and i think it's it's obviously a testament to how great a film is if you take parts of it and put them into your own life. Course, like that's it, amazing. If it seeps into your um, everyday language, uh, then it shows how influential it is. But the thing is that we are influenced by by the films we watch anyway, right? We mm. do subconsciously pick up the language used in films. You know, the perhaps one of the reasons why regional accents are beginning to disappear in Britain is because of the influence of American films that we, we pick up a language that isn't necessarily our own, but we also pick up phrases that we might not have used before. Mm. But being a Londoner born and bred, um, I can, I can say with 
a degree of certainty that that's a language that my my sort of parents and grandparents would have been been aware of. But um, to me, it's it's like picking up part of my own heritage, if you like. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like snatch it. You're right. I think it's. Um, I think it had a bigger budget, and you could tell it had a bigger budget. Um, it had some. Um, I mean, it had um, Brad Pitt in for a start, doing that incredible Romany <laughs> stroke, Irish stroke, Gaelic, whatever it was. Do you um, like dags? <laughs> Do you like yeah, dags? But, but see, the thing is, when I first heard he heard his accent, I thought well, that's a terrible Irish accent. But it, but the fact is, I've spoken to people who know about these things, and they said, well, no, what what he's what he's putting across there is a genuine Romany traveller type accent. Who may have connections with Ireland. In other words, it's kind of Creole-based. It's like um, a kind of a, a, a mixture of dialects all coming yeah, together. Yeah, because I think there's Stafe, his character says about it, he says it's not quite English and it's not quite Irish. Like, So he does say that it's like a blend and it's like, yeah, it's like a straight... Because they can barely understand them, right, like when they're saying things. Well, that- that's one of the running jokes, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, where uh, where Turkish, played by Jason Statham, saying, "What did he say? What's he talking about?" <laughs> you know, that's still funny because you think, "Well, that's what I'd be thinking as well." What's he talking about? Uh, there's a small link as well. I don't know if anyone ever picked up on this because I only because I happen to watch them very close. I picked up. So there's a bit in the film where Brad Pitt's talking about getting the caravan for his mum. And he says, <laughs> I think he's got subtitles, or I put subtitles on, and he says, she likes the periwinkle. Um, like periwinkle. Yeah, and yeah. in Aladdin, the um, the genie says something like that. He says, oh, oh we'll really? put you in periwinkle. We'll put you in periwinkle. And I was oh, like, no, no, I wonder I if that was that. like a yeah. small little connection to his older films, but it may not have been. It might have just been a coincidence. But Maybe, I'm taking like, it that it was a little Easter egg there. Yeah, um, that's very subtle. Well done for picking up, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> give you give you a give you t- ten points for that for spotting it because I did. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. But uh, um, with um. With Snatch, though, do you think in some ways, I was going to say, was it weakened? That's the wrong word to use. But the fact that he took so many members of the cast from Lot, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and put them into Snatch, did, did that kind of weaken the impact of Snatch for you, do you think? Not for me, because as I said, I watched it first. Yeah. So when I watched Lockstock, I had that feeling. I was like, oh, no, that's, that's Bullet Tooth Tony. You know, the Vinnie Jones character. Like, is it? Because I did, I did wonder, I was like, are they doing like some kind of crossover? Is it these are the same characters but in the same world? Yeah. But they're right. obviously not because Jason Statham plays two different characters. So <clears throat> I, yeah, I found the, that effect on Lockstock because I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, <clears throat> a lot of these characters are the same. But I think because the 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 characters were heightened in Snatch for me. So like, whereas Vinnie Jones was a bit more okay, he was an interesting character. They kind of made him slightly more devilish in Snatch, yeah. like and another bit. He's smashing someone's head in with a car door and then he answers yeah. the phone and he goes, Bonjour. <laughs> I no, just no. Thought, that is like, you know, <clears throat> you're messing around now. You know you're know. messing around, but that is so yeah. funny. And I think that I love that sense they upped the game slightly. Like Bricktop as well. He is the best villain. He's such a great gangster villain. <laughs> yeah. And also, well, you know, 
I learned so much about your dialect, Brian. You know, when he well, said, thank you. when yeah. he goes, um, he goes, I'll cut your Jacobs off. I had to Google it. I was like, what's he saying? <laughs> see, see, yeah, that's, that's what it does. Alan Ford, I think, is the type of who, who played Bricktop and also was the narrator in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. He's in it briefly as well, I think. He yeah. Like, yeah, some um, bar or something. Yeah. yeah, but he's the type of actor that that's, you, you recognize from so many film and TV shows, but he will always play that quintessential London character who might be a, a villain next door neighbour or he could be a copper but he will often turn up in films like this he's all, almost like a, a mascot I think for filmmakers for London filmmakers you know and legend. those glasses as well I just yeah I got well, to me him, a pair of those when I get yeah, older that makes him even scarier though doesn't it with the glasses. <laughs> it, it kind of makes his eyes look bigger doesn't it there is, I mean, I must say, when I did watch it back, that Snatch for me still stands up. I still, but they both do actually. But some of the dialogue did feel slightly like it hangs in the air a bit. Um, the, the the trio of the guys who robbed the bookies. There's like a few scenes where they're sort of chatting, and the way they deliver their lines, they, they're almost written like one-liners, and yeah. it's like you know when you reverse. <clears throat> things come from behind you. And it's like, like it was sort yeah. of funny. And then when I was watching this, it actually feels a little bit laboured. And I'm yeah. just wondering with Snatch, if it got away from Richie slightly at times because of the size of the cast and because it was maybe more established actors and things that they were all having a very good time, but maybe just let go of the reins slightly too much at times because <clears> like <throat> I said, it, it felt a little bit... Um, yeah like it had been crowbarred in almost. So Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's that's the problem with it, potential problem with any ensemble cast that's quite big, like you say, it's quite big, is that it, it can lose focus sometimes. But, you know, but then if it does lose focus, it turns into a, like a mini sketch, doesn't it, in some ways? Mm. You could almost sort of say, well, this sketch is actually, this, this scene is actually very funny, right? And you could think, right, that could almost be in the fast show or something because that by so it works by itself. Um, you know the this this scene when when uh, Lenny Lenny James's character is when they they they're going to rob the the um, the bookmaker shop and Tyrone is so big he can't get out of the car. Do you know the scene <laughs> I'm talking about? Yeah, he's struggling to get out of the car and this dramatic tension is supposed to be winding up. Yeah. and you think, God, he's the getaway driver and he can't even move. You know, <laughs> it's just little scenes like that are, are self-contained and they're very, very, very funny by themselves, but they are going off at a bit of a tangent. And, and actually, can... yeah, that those guys. You know, I was saying earlier about how it seeped into my my life. I still now, if I'm ever driving anywhere. My mate Jed, if I if I say oh I can't park there, I can't can't get in there, he goes, You could park a jumbo jet in there. I know, <laughs> he always says it. it. He still says it. I know you can't you can't you can't lose it because films like that do have an impact, so have an impression on you. Particularly if um it's a film that you saw when you were quite young as well. Mm. Uh, I, I think it it's even more likely to stay, to stay with you. But yeah, I, I mean and a, and a great soundtrack. I was gonna mention it uh, about Lot Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Two really great soundtracks. Oh yeah, where, yeah. And he often picks on quite obscure songs. What did I say? Obscure. I mean, um, old songs that were maybe hits years ago. On the closing titles for Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels is a song called "18 with a Bullet" by Pete Winfield. That was a top ten hit in 1975. 
and I wouldn't mind betting the vast majority of people that watched the film would not have known that song until they heard it on the soundtrack. And so he does what Quentin Tarantino does, is that he will pick up reasonably obscure songs and work them into the plot. Um, very good. Very, very good. He's a clever guy. Um, especially, yeah, the music, will slightly go into that in, the, in Rock and Roller, but before that, 2005's Revolver. Have you seen Revolver, Ryan? I saw it when it first came out, but I wasn't terribly impressed with it at the time, to be honest. No, me neither. I, I watched it for the first time recently, um, and I found, this is what I was saying earlier about the balance, this was an example of where he didn't get the balance right, because it was a straight-up kind of gangster flick, but the comedy just wasn't there to, to lift it out of its sort of glumness. It was so <clears throat> kind of bleak. and It was. There was not, there they just didn't really do it yeah. for me, this one. I mean, even though he had Luke Besson involved, I think he was a co-writer, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And Ray Lewis, who was in it. All the ingredients are there. You think, God, this should be good. But I think when Guy Ritchie lets humour lapse from a film that he's making, it's almost like he's betraying uh, one of his traits. Is this humour. There's always humour there. right? And you can defuse what is a violent sequence with humour. And he does that. But he doesn't do that in Revolver at all. And it becomes, for me, quite a depressing very, very bleak, as you say, bleak storyline. It's just not... It's a very heavy watch. I, I, I was yeah. watching and I was like, I just feel heavy. Whereas when I watched Lockstock and I watched Snatch, I felt like, yeah, I could I could watch but, these like back to back and again, like turn it off and watch it again. With Revolver, yeah. I was like, it was a slog to get through. And I've, I think I've only ever seen it once, I think. Mm. For that reason, probably, because it is such hard work. I would say, though, that Jason Statham is very good in the lead. It's a big, big role for him. Like, it's a lot. I think it's far, it's probably one of the early roles he took on that was very, um, there's a lot to it. But I also think that he is under the weight of this incredibly complex plot that yeah. just doesn't really need to be. And also, yeah, not really having much fun. There's not a lot of fun in the film. So I think you feel but, that coming through. Yeah. His- I, I think also it's it might be stretching him a bit too far. Um, the best one in the world, Jathan Statham is a good, solid actor. But it, he's kind of in the, I was going to say action man mold. But I mean, I, I was convinced at one time that Jason Statham used to get all the parts that Bruce Willis turned down. <laughs> right now I don't know how true that is so I might be completely uh, <clears throat> off being there but the point I'm making there really is that he's that type of actor he's kind of a he, he, he makes really great action movies he can play a bright wisecracking character a bit, a bit like Bruce Willis did in Die Hard that's, that's his type of character I think this is probably a bit too heavy for him and maybe I, w- I wouldn't say he was miscast but maybe the film would have benefited having somebody different cast in, in that role. Well, interestingly, I, I read... You know, actually, I didn't read... You know when you're watching it on Amazon, um, little things pop up and tell you about the film? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they said that uh, Guy Ritchie had asked Vinnie Jones to be in this. So I'm pretty much going to just go on a limb and say that the reason why a Revolver is no fun is because Vinnie Jones turned it down. I think if Vinnie Jones had been there, we'd have been sorted. But it just missed that key ingredient. Because as you said, it's all there. It should it should work on paper, but it just yeah. doesn't. It's even got Mark Strong in it. I love Mark Strong. Mark yeah, Strong's yeah, a brilliant actor. He's yeah. just excellent. And yeah, we'll talk about him in a second. But 
I think, um, yeah, the rest of the cast, I, I didn't really like Ray Liotta in this. I must say I found him a bit, like, cringy at times. Um, I didn't. I thought Statham was did really well. But overall, it was just one of those films, In you know, if you're going to go back on a, a Guy Ritchie kind of binge, uh, you'd skip this. You, you definitely would skip this yeah. film, I think. It, it it wouldn't be on your on your list of films to see. At no, all. I'm glad I've seen it, but I, I, I it's not going to make it into. Whereas these other films have actually, you know, they're really high up on my uh, on my yeah. list. They, yeah. it, this just isn't there, unfortunately. No, it's not. But he's allowed one miss, I suppose. You know, if you look he at that is. one. We're going to go to 2008's Rock and Roller next, though, which for me gets better with every watch. This film, the first time I watched it, because of the heightened sense of oh okay this is you know, snatch lockstock director the the trailer made it look you know, amazing i found it really flashy and a bit you know, the first time i watched it but the more i watch it the more i fall in love with this film i think it's so funny there's so much so many great characters and yeah it's <clears> back <throat> you know back to the comedy crime balance you've got the brilliant ensemble and he's got i think here is where you see him with a new cast, really. Other than Mark Strong, I think most people here are, are new, and yet it really worked. Um, it's, it's very slick. It's really got so many powerful scenes in it. The bit outside the nightclub with the pencil, I still can't forget that, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah. what I just want to say, a massive shout-out to Tom Wilkinson for playing <laughs> the gangster well, in this film. He's brilliant. Well, I was going to say, I, I think really that they're all stars in in their own way, but if there was one star of this film, it was Tom Wilkinson playing Lenny Cole. I thought he was absolutely magnificent. Yeah, he really was, and you could believe him being who who he purports to be, right? Outwardly, a, a kind of a respectable businessman, but underneath it all, he's running everything. Yeah, he's he's running the the judiciary. He's he's running the local town. All he's running everything, and. Um, I think it's, I I think it's a film that, you know, I'd I'd rank it with, Smoking Barrels, uh, Snatch, and this film, Rock mm. and Roller. In my opinion, so far, he's three best films. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm agreed there, definitely. He's done some other good films, and we'll get to those. But yeah. those three are like where he's in his pure element, and it's where he's really nailing it in, in in everything it's not baggy there's nothing in there that you take out or or you need to be no, added it's like balanced at all no absolutely and i think that also <laughs> you can you can see there's definitely a tarantino homage in this because yeah there's a bit where uh gerald butler and, and tandy newton are dancing and it's like yeah. it's exactly like the diamond <clears throat> scene isn't it yeah where, yeah you know, i was like Oh, he's he's not even been subtle with this, but I think they're just having so much fun. And we were talking about earlier about music yeah. in this film where they use um, "Be My Rock and Roll Queen." Yeah, uh, that bit was so brilliant because it just builds and builds, and it gets more and more chaotic. And when it sort of releases, it's like, oh yeah. my god, it's so I th- good. I think he appreciates how important the soundtrack is to a film, hmm. and whatever film you're making, it doesn't matter what it is, what genre it is. The soundtrack, whether you generate the soundtrack from an original source or whether you pick old hits um, it's so important it makes the film work it drives the narrative and that's what Guy Ritchie is so good at and you really see it in this film I think mm. but um, you know London looks great you know I, I always I always sort of 
My chest expands with pride whenever I see London portrayed. You're getting all tearful on me now. I know, I know, I'm getting you. emotional. Like, like, like Big Chris in Smoking Barrels. It's been emotional. It's, it's emotional. No, but it, yeah, look, it's it's a great film. And where's the sequel, Chris? It was, it was, it was. Um, What's hinted that sequel? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah um, I googled it up about it recently, and yeah, it's not. <laughs> on anyone's list and if you look at this cast there's no way they're going to get all these people yeah. back for a film <laughs> well uh i did read somewhere though that he you know that s- somebody sort of made inquiries and, and the response they got back was that when you look at the doors that, that a film like this opens for members of the cast they're just going to be too busy mm. to come together but what what a shame though because they did trail it it was whether that was just um a bit of codology, but on the closing titles, they even said the real rock and roller will was it the real, the real rock and roller will, will return, will we'll return or will be back? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I specifically noted it this time because I was like, yeah. oh my god, there wasn't another one, was I? I didn't see it. Where is it? Um, but yeah, no, I, I, a thousand percent would definitely recommend another one because it just. But saying <clears throat> saying that, does it need another one? I'm not sure, well, but well, I'd but... certainly give it a good go. Well, Chris, we could return back to this theme of sequels and why they're made and should there be another one? And is it just milking a good idea? Is it just about making money? Um, not that there's anything wrong with making money, mind you. I mean, that's that's why they're in <laughs> it, after all. But I, I think I think really, in an ideal world, um, a director, a writer should look at a film that's been hugely successful and think, right, we could make another one here. But should we? You, you know, that's what they should be thinking about. Should we make another one? Not, not how much money are we going to make? Should we be making it? Is it going to enhance uh, the story? Is it really going to add to the sum of human knowledge? That's what they should be thinking about. But I, do you know what? It's it's a it's a bit like um, I don't know. It's 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 a bit like when the Godfather, for example, right? Now we know how Godfather Part Three got slated. And um, there is this sense of craving something, but not wanting it. Because you know, it's maybe not going to be as good as the original. Yeah, I think they've, you know, if you look at Richie not doing that on any film, I don't think, has he done any sequels? I think they've all been Uh, filmed. No, No, I can't see any on that. He did a Snatch TV series, but whether or not he was so hugely involved, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, because some of these films were so popular, you could eat. I mean, actually, the next film we'll talk about, I'm surprised there wasn't more, which was The Man from Uncle, because that seemed to leave itself wide open for more films. But yeah. it, I think, obviously, it's a hugely saturated genre, the, the spy genre. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised that didn't go further. I don't think it did that well, if I remember rightly. I don't think it did um, sort of critically well. It lost um, money. Apparently, Warner Brothers lost a fortune. I don't know how much, but they did lose a lot of money from it. And they felt... I mean, I loved The Man from Uncle. I loved I the really story. Good, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I, I, I mean, I remember the original TV series that that got rerun in the 70s, folks. I'm not quite that old. Um, but it, <laughs> um, I, I loved, I loved the, st- the story. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love the characters, the Polynesian Solo, Iriki, Kiriaki, Mr. Waverly, all those great characters mingling in together. Um, and it was, I don't know, because... Apparently, this is what I've read, is that the reason why they felt it didn't go as well as they'd hoped, that it didn't make as much money, was because modern audiences didn't appreciate the characters and the story. They didn't know it. But this is this is a, a James Bond type of storyline. They're both creations of the, of the 60s. Why would they not like it? I, I, I just think it's great fun. It was great fun to watch. I think the thing when I watched it was it's not that far away from James Bond. Do you know what I mean? It's so close to it. I think people would, yeah, if they like those sort of films, they'll like this. But I think the the, the fact that it lost so much money, and, and I remember it getting very lukewarm reviews at the time, um, that I thought, I was very surprised, because I thought it was actually a really good step for Richie in the right direction to do a different genre film, but still with that, you know, adventure comedy crime yeah. kind of feel to it that you get that brilliant banter between henry cavill and army hammer i think it was <clears throat> and actually Alyssa vikander as well she's really good in the in the, that role of the sort of um confusing you know operative right like, whose side she on and all this sort of stuff that it played really well to richie's strengths which is this kind of calamitous approach to a yeah. to an adventure story where the characters aren't you know necessarily things don't go very well for them and they're all trying to react to the situation yeah. um and I, I thought it, it was actually a lot better again one of those films that i do go back to and when i re-watch it i still go yeah this is a really good film and it all period made as well so it's i don't I can't remember where it's, it's set but of oh, 60s is it um yeah. the <laughs> they they, they recreate it really well there's a brilliant scene where they're in the car uh, he's in the boot of the car and he's trying to like run after him it's <clears> like yeah. an old school uh, vehicle I just thought it was just so much fun um, it didn't, doesn't have the uh, sweary grit of his earlier his best films but as a polished spy movie it works really well I think it's definitely one of his films that are up yeah. there uh, well, amongst the other films yeah I think it's a Guy Ritchie film that should have worked in America mm. you know it was designed more for the for the, well, not more for the American market, but you know, you can imagine films like uh, Rock and Roller and Lots of Talk and Steve Smoking Barrels being a bit too raw and a bit too gritty for American audiences mm. in some ways, but this wouldn't be. This is very polished, isn't it? Yeah, it's very slick and it's got that. It doesn't, because even like something like Rock and Roller was, was slicker than Snatch and Lockstock, but it still had an edgy vibe to it. It still felt. Uh, it, like you were in the hands of an auteur who who was going to really be quite rough with you. Whereas with this, as I said, it didn't feel that far away from a Bond film. It felt like yeah. it had been made by the same studio and they, they knew yeah. how to handle all this stuff. Um, but, and it's and easy it, watching. 
Yeah, anything from the 60s as well. I mean, whatever people might think about what came before or came after the 60s, the 60s was heavily stylized, a unique period to live through for you know people that experienced it as adults. Um, but it, everything just looked so so smooth and so polished and shiny. You know, this, the 60s was a time when everything changed. And that also went for the um, TV shows that were being made at the time. And Man from Uncle started in the 60s. And I think it's great that they've imported that. You know, they could have easily updated Man from Uncle and put it in the present, but they didn't. Mm. They left it in the 60s because they know the 60s is such a cool decade. It really is. Uh, I think if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. Yeah, um, no doubt about it. The next one, unfortunately, I've not made it through this film, but Brian, have you seen King Arthur, Legend of the Sword? No. I, do you know what? Oh. I'm in the same boat as you. Because you know when you're, you know when you're channel hopping and you you see films coming on and you, you see ten minutes of one film and fifteen minutes of another and you think oh mm. I'll come back to that and every time I come across this film I've never been able to keep it on for more than five minutes at a time <laughs> I don't know why I'm glad it's not just me no it's not you the first time <clears throat> I watched this we just had my first daughter or or not yeah. long before and we were doing this thing where we were holding her up through the night because she couldn't be put down so. I was watching anything and everything to try and keep myself awake. And I mean anything. I was watching all sorts of things. Probably scarred her for life if she took any of it in. But <laughs> hopefully she wasn't. But yeah. I, did, I put this on and I was like, all right, Guy Ritchie, King Arthur, lots of action. This should keep me up. And it, I, I, I made it, I don't think it was even 10 minutes. I got to a bit and I just thought, this is ridiculous. And I'm, mm. it's hurting me to watch this. And I just flicked it off. And I just couldn't bring myself to watch it because I just knew I wasn't going to like it. Every, also, every single review I've heard of it everywhere else has said it's terrible. And yeah, I, I just, I can't, obviously we can't really talk too much about it because we haven't seen it, but no. it certainly doesn't feel like it's one of his, uh, one of his best love films. I, I don't know. I don't know why. Because um, usually, you know, I don't often talk about the 30 minute test in a film. Hmm. Watch a film for half an hour, preferably at the beginning, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I often don't do. Um, but give it thirty minutes, see if it works. But I don't think, even if I started that film at the beginning, I wouldn't get past ten minutes. I don't know what it is. It's just something about, and I don't think Charlie Hunnam is probably the best. I'm not saying he's miscast, but I don't. I don't think he's necessarily the best actor to play King Arthur. No, I, I, this is what actually was something very evident to me with the bit that I watched. I was like, the casting here feels like its biggest problem. Also, it's a story that I, I watched an interview with Gary talking about, it and he said, oh, you know, it's a, you know, a reimagining of it, you know, perfect for contemporary audiences. And I was like, is that really what we needed? Um, I don't think, you know, <sighs> and actually the next film does that as well that it was a film that was really necessary. But even if you were going to do it, do it in a way that seems to please people. But as I said, I've not seen it, so I'm not going to talk too much more about it. No. I think that's unfair. Yeah. Um, but if anyone had seen it and they want to shout at me about how great it is, yeah. um, I'll give you my fake email because I, <laughs> I can't be shouted at anymore. I get so much shouting at me. Um, yeah, that's King Arthur. It is. You can rent it on um, on Amazon Prime. So yeah, yeah, it's there if you want it. But um, we're going to jump ahead a couple of years to 2019's live-action remake of Aladdin. Now, have you seen this one, Brian? Yeah, I saw this. And I think in some ways, um, 
whilst it it was very good, it does what it says on the tin. But I just didn't. F- I suppose I'm comparing it to the other films that Guy Ritchie makes, right? Like mm. you know, the three the first three films he made, they are Guy Ritchie films, and we know it. We can see they are, right? Rock and Roller is a Guy Ritchie movie, but Aladdin, you watch it, you think anyone could have directed this. Really, it's very well made. It's it's entertaining. You know, the songs are good. You know, all of that sort of thing. But I don't know. I I think. When you're a director and you're asked to make a film with Walt Disney, you make the film that Walt Disney want you to make, yeah. not the film that you want to make. If you see what I'm getting at, I don't know whether I'm I'm uh, explaining myself properly here. but Well, one of the criticisms that did come out about a lot of these Disney live-action remakes was how uh, truthful to the original they stayed. Because obviously there'd be a, an expectation that if you were re-releasing a film i don't know 30 40 50 years after Mm. the first one that maybe you were going to change a few elements in here and there are some elements don't get me wrong there are some elements that changed Mm. but by and large it sticks almost you know to the word to the original (sighs) film so it's like well why are we making this and why get someone like guy Ritchie to direct it why would you get the guy who made snatch oh yeah that's the guy we need for aladdin but I'm saying all this. I didn't mind it. I thought it was. A, I think it was a well-made film, and I think you're absolutely right where you're saying about you know it's a you make one film for them and one yeah. film for you. He probably was like, right, well, I got to go make this because I need to make the bucks to make my next film. Yeah. Um, and he does a good job of it. Everything is well brought together. There's not really too much for fans to complain about. You know, they obviously I'm sure they'll find something, but they. You know, it, it does a good job of standing up somewhere you know, along the way to the original, which didn't really need a live-action film, but we got one anyway. Um, there are some good scenes, and it, it does have... When, when it comes to Richie films, I'd rather have him make a comedy than make a straight-up crime film, like with Revolver. Like yeah. I find Aladdin was more palatable, because it was like, actually, at least it's fun, there's some good lines in it, it's good, it's good crack. You, know, you can just kind of go along with it. Whereas with Revolver, it was a slog. Yeah. I didn't find yeah. Aladdin to be a slog. I was, I was watching it. I was like, yeah, this is fun. Like it's, it's good, lighthearted fun. Yeah. When yeah. my kids are a bit older, I'm sure they'll like this sort of film. Um, and there's nothing really wrong with it. I yeah. liked that there was a bit of contemporary revision look at it like female roles and things, you know, with the, mm. the princess character. I thought that yeah. was quite good that they did try to do that. But typically it just kind of told the story again. I think obviously if you've not seen the original, it still stands up. You can go and watch the original animated it, version. Yeah, it's 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 a very nice film. It's a it's a type of film that you you would have on in the background. I think really, you, you put it on. You you know, again, if you were channel hopping and you found Aladdin playing, you'd leave it on because it's very pleasant to look at. It's nice lines. It's it's very well put together, and I think Will Smith is very good as the genie. And you wouldn't expect him to be anything but good in in that type mm-hmm. of role. So I mean, you got a lot of. Um stick to begin with because um, of how he looks and stuff but actually it works really well in the film i thought actually the genie was one of the like best things they did yeah i i i think it it, it was a good film but it it doesn't necessarily to me it's it's um it's a bit like um it's it's falling back on a formula because you know whilst you can you can squeak a story like aladdin you know people won't want you to people won't want you to change it that much so you're kind of on a hide into nothing, really. So you're just going to play safe and go down a more familiar route with it. And that's probably the only 
qualm I would have with it that it that you, th- you kind of shrug your shoulders a little bit and you think so what you know it's it's that type of film but it <laughs> but it's look you can't afford look it's Walt Disney it's Guy Ritchie Guy Ritchie on automatic pilot in some ways but you know as you say um pays a few bills for him yeah and you know the, he made a uh, well he released a film in the same year which was The Gentleman um, yeah. with Matthew McConaughey and actually Charlie Hunnam's in this as well. And this was a bit of a return to form. You know, obviously it's a, yeah, it's a gangster film, got some comedy, lots of action. Again, good ensemble cast. Um, I, you know, you got Hugh Grant coming back. You know, he was in The, the Man From U.N.C.L.E., wasn't he? And you know, I think by this point in Richie's career, he's worked with a lot of people, so he, he's got a lot of choice of who he could work with. And the cast is really good. Now, when I watch this film, it's one of those experiences when, you know, you just sometimes you're watching a film that happens to get you at the right time in your life. Yeah. I was watching this and I happened to have one of these rare nights to myself which is very rare. I've got two kids. So it was like, I've got a night to myself. And I put this mm. film on. I had a small glass of whiskey whilst I yeah. watched it, which was the perfect choice, it turned out, yeah. for the film. Yeah. And I had a really good time with it. <laughs> I thought, this is a great film. But I haven't rewatched it since. And I, I'm wondering if maybe I was like under the influence, literally. Well, what, do you like this one, Brian? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed okay. it. I think, okay. I think he's, he's back. If you look at these, what he'd done beforehand uh he's back on familiar territory but it really shows how comfortable he is with this is his genre this is what he does well this is the type of film if we're really honest this is the type of film we want to see guy Ritchie make because he's so good at doing it um i actually wrote wrote a, a review for this and i went back and looked at it did you, um did you Brian? i did yeah I, and i um it's, it's interesting really because it shows my views of Guy Ritchie haven't really changed much over that two or three years that have elapsed since then. But the um, the last line of that review was, how much longer can he keep on making the same film? <laughs> now, I think, now I'm thinking to myself, what was I, tr- what was I really trying to say there? That, You're very glib there, aren't you, Brian? I, yeah, I know. I, I do, well, I do have my glib moments. <laughs> um, but I suppose what I was trying to get at there is that Yes, he's in his comfort zone here. We enjoy it. We love it. It's it's a great. This is what Spielberg calls a popcorn movie, right? We we love this type of film. Hugh Grant isn't Hugh Grant great in this film? Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I mean, he does that Michael Caine, that pseudo Michael Caine accent, and he gets away with it. <laughs> but you re- but you realise what a very good actor Hugh Grant is. Um, oh yeah, I'm a big big fan of Hugh Grant. I think he's done some terrific work. But um, I think I think he's really come on. Uh, as an actor, sort of technically as an actor, he's come on in leaps and bounds in recent years, and this shows you how far he's come. Because you know that character is a mixture of kind of, kind of goofy, part goofy, part sinister. You know, it's it's just a mixture of sort of uh, different characteristics there that he's bringing out in that character. I, I love that. I thought it was great. Um, but that's the only thing I would say about the gentleman is, is that. This is what uh, Guy Ritchie does. This is what he's good at. We enjoy it. But should he be trying to get away from it? <laughs> mm. It's difficult, isn't it? Because if something works, 
and there's lots of you know stories to be mined. I I I, I think it's okay, and it also depends on what you're going to do in you know, thematically, because a lot of his films are obviously dealing with a criminal underclass. Yeah. So straight away you bring up issues of poverty versus wealth and that's always kind of there um you know like with their uh, rock and roller there was the whole like people coming in and buying up london and you know running it through backhanders and all this sort of stuff that there's always these sort of small elements so i'm, I'm sure there's always stories that he can be doing to um you know, reflect what's going on in society even if it is still through the same genre but i think it's about how do you keep upping it? And this doesn't up it. Like this hasn't, this doesn't reach the heights of rock and roller, even though it's like 11 years on. Um, and I think that's because it doesn't, it's actually, I would say first off, it's a little bit too polished. Uh, you still need it to be a little bit raw, like rock and roller, snatch, lock, stop, they're raw films. This is someone that's like, you know, 10 years older and is making classier films. I think Yeah. Um, that I think it, yeah, you know, it gets the comedy right, it gets the crime and, and all that, you know, the, the casting right. It does everything it should do, but it's been 10 years. And like you said, he, he's made the same film again. And okay, it's great. You know, we're happy to watch it again, but we're not going to sing from the rooftops yeah. about it. I mean, the, the thing is, would you and I sit down and watch a film like that or similar to that? We wouldn't mind necessarily. But at the same time, you think with all the ability he's got, he's obviously got, you know, as we've already said, Hugely talented, very stylish. You think there's got to be more to it than, than this. It's it's a huge comfort zone for him, and I think it'd be nice if he if he got away from it a little bit, you know, or or come back with something that's come back with a gangster flick that's a bit different. Yeah, reinvent the genre because yeah, there, reinvent the genre. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been absolutely done to death. But it's a shame that you know something like a foray into the spy genre didn't really work for him because it would be a nice little sidestep. You're still you know dealing in crime, but having that kind of huge uh, world to work with as opposed to like a gangster film, which is typically quite you know small town. That yeah, it's a shame that uh, the man from Uncle wasn't as well received as I think it should have been because it may have been that he would have been able to step off and, and do more or want to do more of a different genre, but maybe it just didn't really sit well for him. Um, there are a few films I didn't see, so you know, he's done some other things, but typically it's this sort of crime uh, film that he's he's been remaking a lot. Um, the next film, I don't know if you've seen it, it's... Um, Wrath of Man, 2021, with Jason Statham? Yes, I, I, I saw it two weeks ago. And oh, me too. Oh, we must have watched it at the same time. Yeah, I know, yeah. Synchronicity, eh? We must have known <laughs> something. Um, I really enjoyed this, actually. I thought it was really good. Um, because it's not just the convention... You know, it comes across as a um, fairly standard brash, crowd-pleasing, thriller-by-numbers type of movie. That's the way it sets out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. And if you look at this, the storyline, Jason Statham plays this guy, H, who becomes a security guard for a, a, way, a firm that moves money around, doesn't he, right? Yeah. So um, you think, okay, right. So this story gradually unfolds, and there's obviously more to him than meets the eye. But you know what? what's great about that? 
the character he plays, Chris, is that for the first half an hour of that film, he says about four words. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't speak, hardly speak, does he really? All the other characters are talking around him. Um, but he hardly speaks. And you think that makes you more curious about him. And whilst it, it might be badged as a revenge type story, uh, to me, without giving too much of the plot away, it, it raises more issues than that for me. Unless I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. But a very good film. Very, very enjoyable. I liked it. Yeah, it's funny because I watched this as probably one of the first films when we were doing our prep for Guy Ritchie. That was, it was the first film I'd watched, which I hadn't seen, but it was the first of my rewatches. And I thought, do you know what? It's got a little bit too much of Revolver for me. It's a bit of a, yeah. it's a crime cerebral thriller where they've, they've come up with a fairly kind of complex narrative. But I did enjoy it way more than Revolver. I was like, actually, I'm more on board for this because yeah. it's not, it's not too bleak. It's not, rubbing your face in the, the sort of violence and um, the darkness of it all. Even though the central character is fairly kind of cold and, and dark, I think the plot, as it unfolds in the way that it does, I mean, it's not Nolan, but it's got like a kind of Nolan-esque vibe to yeah. it. That yeah, I think that's, it, that's true. It's quite a smart film and it is doing something different. It doesn't have the comedy tag attached to it. And yet it's more palatable than when he's done that before. Um, I think the cast works really well. It also works really well as an American film. Um, I think yeah, you know, does, if, you'd, yeah. if you'd had this set in London, you know, one of our one of Her Majesty's prisons <laughs> or something like that, so Her Majesty's yeah. uh, you know dealings, I think it wouldn't have worked. You know, if you've got the the trucks going around central London and you know it's gridlock everywhere, <laughs> can't yeah. get through, can't get through right. Acne. Yeah, no, that's right. That yeah. It's you know it, it wouldn't really work. Whereas actually as a the other thing I did when I was watching it, I was thinking, this feels like a Liam Neeson film. <laughs> I was like, it feels like Liam Neeson should have been it, in this, not Jason be. Statham. Maybe you had, you had Liam, Neeson in, Liam Neeson in mind. You never know. It could have been. Or even Bruce Willis at that matter. But it, yeah, didn't, it didn't give um, Statham the chance to inject any sense of comedy. Like It's, it's very straight-laced, mm. the most of it. And it's pretty sad at times. You know, There's a lot of sort of, uh, bits that you think, oh gosh, that's like really rubbish. Um, and I like the action set pieces. Obviously, it's mostly those. Yeah, those are the kind of big bits that you you really yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Um, but I did also think it was quite forgettable. I got to the end of it, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You know, if it was on on a Sunday after or Sunday evening, and uh, I was flicking around, I might leave it on. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to go back and watch it on purpose. Yeah, it, it's a bit like a meal you've really enjoyed, but there's no reason why you'd remember it the next day, is there, really? No, and actually, I think it's unfortunate that that's the most recent of his films that we're going to sort of wind up on, because obviously it's the most recent, but it's not his best. I actually think The Gentleman, if you're going to watch any of his recent films, I think The Gentleman is worth a watch. Um, I think Wrath of Man was a bit sort of average, but well made and something slightly different to his usual recipe but again i feel bad because it's like i'm like you know you know i'm sure guy richie's listening right now but is I'm he sure gonna i'm yeah. putting him off going into a new genre is he gonna say no well chris didn't I, like it so i'll go back yeah, to making snatch I, I know i i think rather man as i say surprised me how good it was or how much i enjoyed it you know the, um 
So of his more recent uh, films, I'd say if you, if you're into a more conventional, what on the face of it appears to be a more conventional action movie, then Wrath of Man is the one you'd pick. But of his more recent films, if you want a, a funnier, brighter, lighter sort of experience, then the the Gentleman is probably um, the better film to go for. Uh, but that's leaning more towards what what he's what he's comfortable with, you know, what he what it he's is, good yeah. at. Yeah, it's it's really not a stone's throw away from his earlier great films, and I think that yeah. Happy to see what else Guy Ritchie tries. The way he's done something like Wrath of Man, Aladdin, you know, Man from Uncle, all these kind of s- small steps in a different direction. I think well, I'm wondering if he is kind of testing the waters and seeing where he feels more well, comfortable and things like that. Well, I mean, if you look at the film that's that's due to come out soon, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, that to me is kind of more like the, what we're talking about here. That that is based on that's based on, on on facts, that's this is what the um, uh, the, the Secret Service, this is what MI5 did in the Second World War. You think, right, that's something I would have liked to have seen him done a lot sooner. That's why I'm really looking forward to this coming out because it sounds really good. And he, apparently, he's also working on a film called The Interpreter uh, with Jake Lingenhall, uh, which is based uh, during the uh, Afghanistan conflicts. Again, you think, right, that sounds more like it. That sounds more like the kind of film that you think, right, now he, he's doing something. He's putting down a new marker now. Um, but well, I suppose see. one thing that I didn't mention was, because uh, I, I hadn't, I wasn't able to re-watch them, I didn't remember them well enough, was the Sherlock Holmes films. And actually he has made a sequel because he made two of those, didn't he? He did, yeah. Well, he's got an Aladdin two coming out as well. And there's Aladdin two coming out. I've just seen that as well. So, uh, have you? I I mean, I vaguely remember the Sherlock Holmes films and thinking they were very fun and stylized, and that's a different, you know. And they're they're quite well thought of, aren't they? No, I think so. I think they they did reasonably well. Um, uh, I I tend to be a bit of a traditionalist. I, I when I think of Sherlock Holmes, I think of certain actors playing Sherlock Holmes, and not necessarily, um. Who was it? Was it Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, he did it in in those Guy Ritchie films, and then yeah. you had Benedict Cumberbatch in the BBC one, which I, that's the one I kind of think of. Yeah, BBC. That that's the thing, though. I think when you look at other actors of uh, play, I mean, anyone can come in and play Sherlock Holmes and give it a new spin. It's not the exclusive territory of any one actor, but some actors become the reference point for a character. And I think with Sherlock Holmes. On the big screen, anyway, it's probably Basil Rathbone from the 1940s. But from the more contemporary era, I think you really are talking about Benedict Cumberbatch. That is more like you think Holmes should be. I think that's what happened with the uh, Sherlock films for me, was they got buried at the same time as that BBC series, which was really, really good, which is unusual for me because I'm you know, I'm a mainly film kind of guy. But yeah, yeah I think... The, I watched the Guy Ritchie films. Okay, yeah, they're fun, but forgettable. Um, whereas the Sherlock one was more, uh, yeah, it was well done. It was very thought provoking, and yeah, had a had a smartness to it, and it really stood up. Um, it's a shame that that's actually finished, but obviously yeah. it's got strange Some, now. So sometimes, though, it can be bad bad timing for a film when it's released, mm. and 
as you say, when the Sherlock films were released, um, Sherlock, the TV series, was going. And we know how how production values for, for TV drama is, has gone through the roof, hasn't it, really? You know, you're beginning to see less of a difference now between film and TV, mm. where the, you know, the production values are so high now. And I think that's what's happening now, is the gap's closing. And it could just be the fact that it was released when it was, and people subconsciously compare, you know, uh, films and characters, and you think, ah. Oh, you know, so it might have had an, an impact, but I mean, very good films. They were very solid. There was no, there was no uh, huge issue there. But as I say, because because he's that good, I think we would naturally expect a lot more from him, and we will get a lot more. I mean, yeah, um, as you said, yeah, the new film that's coming out, uh, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, mm. um, is from. Uh, I'm probably wrong because I keep you know, missing stuff, but I think it's his first foray into like a war drama. I think that oh. must be. I yeah, don't no, think I think you're before. right. No, I think I can back you up on that one. I think you're right. <laughs> right. So Brian said it. And yeah, I said it. So yeah. <laughs> so that you know, maybe this is you know, it's a step in a different direction, and maybe that's what he's planning on doing. You know, he does his his uh, comfortable films. He does his big budget films. Obviously, he's got Aladdin two planned, and then he does like a you know another little step in another genre just to see how it feels and you know, yeah that's the the trademark of a brilliant director and filmmaker yeah. who's first off able to do that but also willing because these aren't small films he's making like every film he's made you know pretty much since snatch has been on a fairly huge scale with some he, huge casts you know yeah, and i think that he, he's capable of doing that he will never be short of of money to make films he will never be short of backers he will never be short of actors to work with even though he does have a pool of actors that he likes working with. The Stafe. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but even so, you know, he, he'll never be short of the, the talent that he needs to make great movies. He'll never be short of the, of the money to make great movies because of who he is and they know he's good. And, you know, if, if, you, if you was a film producer and you headed up a studio, he would be one of your directors who would say, right, we've got to get Guy Ritchie on board on this one. Let's get older guy Richie's agent's number. We got to get we got to get him to direct this film. So he's in a very fortunate position where people are going to be chasing him, and he can decide what he makes and what he doesn't make. So he can exercise some quality control there, can't he as well? There you go. I think you've you've summed it up brilliantly. Well, thank you. Well done, Brian. Um, I do well, my best. Before we uh, adjourn, was there any uh, films of his that I didn't mention that you wanted to give a shout out to? No, none that I want to give a shout out to. Really, you've mentioned the best ones. I think I that's mean, the majority of them, isn't it? I, I mean, as I, I said we missed the Sherlock ones, and he's done a few sort of um, corporate things. But yeah, yeah, I suppose I could. What we could mention, um, only because it featured his former missus. Swept away. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From two thousand two with Madonna, um, which wasn't one of his finest moments, I don't think. But that's I've what not, happened. I've not seen it, so well, well, yeah. well, trust me, don't. <laughs> well, no, look, it's it's okay, but I think it really shows how uh, how limited Madonna was as is as as an actor. But I think he he was just the hotshot director that marries 
the world's most famous pop star who still thinks she can make good films. And say, all right, darling, okay, look, let's make a film together. (laughs) And it didn't quite work out. So unless you're incredibly curious, I'd forget that one. But I think it's worth mentioning because it's the only one we haven't mentioned. It's got a 3.6 rating on IMDb. That's low. That's that's a lot lower than King Arthur. (laughs) Well, there you go. There's there's a barometer there, isn't it, really? But no, it wasn't good. It wasn't good, but... Maybe I'll get someone on the site to review it. Poor person. Yeah. Not me. Well, I mentioned, you see, I, that's the thing in it. I never volunteer for anything. You mention it. You say, oh, you can do it. Yeah. That's what's happened. Um, oh, so there you have it. Listeners. Poor Brian's got some homework. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a you know, resounding note to, to finish on. And I want to thank Brian for joining me tonight because I needed an authentic London cockney. So he came and, and delivered. Thank you, Brian. A pleasure, Governor. <laughs> Just signing off in authentic East End language. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's been great. Oh, it's yeah, and actually, it's always um, nice when you go into the films of someone great because it's just a great experience to go back and yeah. watch all these movies, even the ones you don't love. It's just a nice reason to go and watch them. And you know, I wouldn't have watched things like uh, Wrath of Man if it wasn't because of this. So it's it's great. It's great to be able to go yeah, and right. explore what is essentially a very good catalogue of films. So any that we've mentioned that you've not seen, please do watch them. Let us know what you thought. Uh, if you disagree with any of what we've said, I'll give you Brian's email and you can let him know. Uh, but don't I'll distract swear. him while he writes his review of Swept Away. No, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got things to do. <laughs> I've got things yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this has been the UK Film Review Podcast. It's been an absolute delight. Um, uh, so yeah, it's bye from me and it's bye from my colleague Brian. Yeah, bye all. Take care. And we'll see you. Well, actually, I won't see you, but you'll listen to us next time. (laughs) Cheers. Bye for now. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.